going to be the last sermon in our series, uh, Death Applied from Colossians. This book was written to put the focus on the Christian life being squarely upon Christ and not some form of of, uh, false teaching and legalism, which Paul has been attacking. And the section is really a practical outworking of being identified with Christ and particularly in his death. And what Paul has been communicating is that Christ has secured for us a means by which sin has no power over us. So he gives a list of the things that we ought to be dead to. And so this is a a great admonishment to practice what uh, what we possess in Christ. So let's take a look at Colossians chapter 3 and I'll stand as we take a look at this passage. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And we've covered verses 5 through 8. Now today we're going to cover verse 9. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Reliability is certainly deficient when you have lied so much that when you tell somebody some tragedy like this, they don't believe you. For many folks, lying is so accepted, it's difficult to even accept the truth or know the difference between truth and a lie. In fact, it's become so common that some professions are associated with lying. And certainly it's unfair to lump every person into the same pot, but we snicker when we hear the phrase, an honest politician, right? Uh, One author said that lying is a thriving vocation. I mean, once a lie is spun for so long it's difficult to unravel. Oscar de Corti made a very good vocation out of lying. You'll see his picture up here. He was the crying Indian. Remember the crying Indian of the 70s? In the Keep America Beautiful back in uh, in the early 1970s? The commercial has actually been rated in the top 50 commercials of all time. And, and in it, de Corti, who was dubbed the crying Indian because it showed a Native American man paddling down a junk-infested river surrounded by smog, pollution, and trash. And the camera then pans to this cheerless Indian, and a single tear rolls down his face. Uh, De Corte passed himself off as an Indian, but in fact... He was full-blooded Italian, right? Uh, He wanted to be called Iron Eyes Cody. And uh, he not only got the commercial job, but he became the face of Native Indians in Hollywood. even has a Hollywood um, uh, star in the Walk of Fame. And long before that, he was in some John Wayne movies and starred along with Ronald Reagan and was known as the Noble Indian. (laughs) The only problem was it was all a ruse. Both of his parents were from Italy. And after a reporter looked into 
his heritage and proved his Italian lineage, uh, he still continued to deny it. In fact, still continued to wear his garb as an Indian. His hometown couldn't accept the truth because they kind of became famous off of it. Hollywood wouldn't face the truth because they made money off of it. And he said that uh, he still had the connection with the great spirit like an Indian. Well, it was certainly a spirit, but one that promotes deceit. And such a thing influenced people starting with the garden way back in Eden and has continued to be intertwined with human beings throughout history. It is characteristic of the old self to lie. But in Christ, we are called to live out lives of authenticity. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. We as a community are called to live lives of authenticity in every way. All lying is to be dead to us. And notice the inclusion of to one another or of one another. It means that with one another, we're to live an honest, authentic community. Now, if we define truth as simply that which is aligning with reality, then we could say that lying is deliberately giving voice to that which does not align with reality. Simple enough? So how many people lie? How many people have ever lied? Everybody here has, right? Even Tom Hanks, the most trusted man in Hollywood, got on national TV and admitted he lies all the time. (laughs) How about those white little lies? How about those lies, you know, where... Uh, You don't tell somebody the truth because you don't want to hurt their feelings. I mean, lying has become so accepted, it's hard to notice, except for what we affectionately call the whoppers, right? And perhaps one of the problems is that we seek to define lying by our own standard. And without God in the picture... We are basically left with just, you know, our own measuring stick as to what lying is. So without God, we're left to human reason. We're left to, you know, science has the arbiter of truth. But such things are only good as those who are doing the scientific testing or the reasoning. In a 2009 report from Edinburgh University, one-third of scientific Medical researchers admitted anonymously to scientific fraud, a third of them. And three-quarters of them, when queried, said that they witnessed others fixing the data so that it skewed the results to their liking. That doesn't mean that truth doesn't exist. It just means as human beings, we're prone to lie. So where else can people turn to to find a semblance of the truth? Education? Politics? It's at that point we just throw our hands up and say, what's the use? All you have then is what is true, you know, for ourselves. so we think. 
And truth cannot possibly extend beyond that. Now, such thinking, you know, may sound good in a philosophy class or when we're having coffee with somebody, but let's face it, none of us, no one can live that way as if truth doesn't exist at all. All of us depend on something being fixed or true or corresponding to reality. When we drive our car, we assume that the road signs correspond to reality. When we conduct relationships, it matters to us the truth of a person's reputation or or whether or not they can be trusted. Facts can be known and truth is applied outside of ourselves. At issue is what is the ultimate guide or measurement or standard for truth? Are we merely subject to our own interpretations? Or is there a plumb line that we can look to and say, that is true. That is truth. Here's what Hebrews 6 says. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hopes set before us. And then we read this in Numbers. God is not man that he should what? Lie. It's common to man. God is not man. He doesn't lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? The point to these passages is that God has a character of truth. That's the plumb line. And every expression from his mouth is true. That we can take to the bank. That we can count on. We read in Psalm 119, 160, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So the character of God is true, and what he expresses in his word is true. You see, at its essence then, if we understand this, if we accept that proposition that that, that God is true, lying is a statement of human rebellion that God's reality is not acceptable. Lying says truth is not God's to determine, but but a, a tool for humans to use as they see fit. Listen to the one of the, one of the minor prophets who said, "You have plowed iniquity, you've reaped injustice, you've eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors." Notice, trusting in your own way and lying go together. We might say it's a form of control. When we lie, we we shut our ears to instruction because we're too busy propping up our own private version that doesn't correspond to reality. We read this in Isaiah, for they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. See, lying is trying to restructure reality. Since lying is so convoluted and reveals so much more than probably what we care to admit, 
It makes sense that the originator of lying is, you guessed it, Satan himself. In fact, when Jesus was uh, putting to task some religious leaders in the book of John, he said this. He said, you are of your father, the devil. (laughs) Imagine being a religious leader and having Jesus saying, your father is the devil. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, there are many who are tempted to say, well, you know what? God has progressed to accommodate the the shifting sands of, of culture today. And he's far more tolerant of other perspectives and people saying that, you know, there's such a thing as absolute truth. Well, I would suggest that God's character has not changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And neither has his attitude towards lying. You know, as the early church was being launched, it seemed that it was very important to God that this thing about authentic community and not lying be understood in the early church. And when a couple people, Ananias and Sapphira, lied to the apostles, God took their lives early, all right? Warren Candler, who was a minister and former president of Emory University, when he was preaching about the lies of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, he asked the question, if God struck people dead for lying, where would I be? And the congregation snickered a bit, but the smiles disappeared When the minister shouted, I would be right here preaching to an empty church. Wow. Perhaps a prayer for all of us would be from Psalm 120, verse 2. The psalmist said, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Here's some practical applications to, I think, what Paul is trying to get at here in Colossians. Number one, we must not lie to ourselves concerning matters of our heart. We must not lie to ourselves concerning matters of our heart. Proverbs 10.18 says, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Now, it's not that hatred is a good thing, but I think what? Proverbs is after is, be honest about that. Deal with that. And then, behold, this is from the Psalm 51.6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. In other words, deal with the reality in your heart. Fear. Hatred. Jealousy. And a host of other fermenting attitudes that that poison our system. We deceive ourselves to think that no one notices, right? But it's like the person with an addiction, only we are drunk on presenting an image. And it's a lie. When you delight in truth in your inner being, you face the fears. You face the anger. And you allow God to bring his healing balm. You die to those things. 
And so instead of, instead of hiding, talk to a friend. Be honest. Another application, we must not present ourselves as free of problems. Something a lot of Christians like to do, but we have to realize that our main job as a Christian, listen, it's not to be an image maker or a reputation manager. When we worry too much or fear about what others think of us, we we fall into a trap of trying to control the information about ourselves to others. In fact, many pastors fall into this trap, all right, of not allowing their spouse or children to really be honest, and certainly themselves either, not being honest with others. Why? They don't want people to see the difficulties. They don't want to uh, they, they, they want to prop up an image. You know, I'm a good pastor. Many Christian families do the same as certain Christian cultures breed this kind of showcasing. And it does damage to authentic community. We lie about who we really are. We try to present ourselves as something we are not. We've often heard it said that some faith communities shoot their wounded. Actually, I'd say many like to sit and watch them bleed as they gloat that, you know, I don't struggle like that person. So that keeps people maybe from from sharing. But listen, how do we break such a fleshly temptation to try to be, you know, image makers, try to control the information? We have to be deliberate in entering into vulnerable community. That doesn't mean that you stand up in front of the church and you blab everything going on in your life, but you have people that you can trust around you that you can be honest with. Enter a life group or other people that we can be in relationship with. Because when when honesty reigns, relationships strengthen. It just takes a lot of work, doesn't it? To lie all the time to our friends about who we are. That's just a lot of work. I'd much rather have the freedom to just be who I am, warts and all. If you like that, fine. If you don't, sorry. Next, we must not present God as something other than how he has revealed himself. This is a big one. In a judgment upon Israel, God expressed his disgust with prophets who tell people what they want to hear instead of what is true. In Ezekiel 22, we read, And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. When spiritual leaders whitewash, they gloss over what is really happening. Or in the case of, of, of Israel, they refused to speak about God's judgment. That's what was happening in Ezekiel. They omit the hard truths. They only speak, you know, about love and grace, but refuse to speak about the topics that people generally don't like talking about. It is a lie. Listen, it is a lie to distort something God has clearly spoken in his word. That's lying. 
because that's not matching reality. We read in Jeremiah, And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. By the way, doesn't this put upon us the responsibility to discern what is being taught, to know whether it matches with truth, if it matches with the word, that, that we're not gullible to disbelieve everything that is said by a spiritual leader? But anyway, he says here, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. See, religious lies are especially egregious because God has employed spiritual leaders to rebuke, to warn, to to reprove, and certainly to encourage as well. But instead... Often they refuse to do that. They refuse to deal with sin. They refuse to deal with the reality in front of them. And that is a lie. And maybe we could say this too. Consider also presenting the Christian life or our church as something that it is not. As something other than what is real. I mean, when we as a church give the impression that becoming a Christian will do nothing but just bring you joy and peace without any effort, that is lying. That is not real. Now, the Christian life does include peace and joy. But the whole story is that there's also heartache, that there's suffering, that we need to endure That's what a disciple does when they follow Christ. I mean, when young disciples fall away because their impression of the Christian life is far different than reality, some of that responsibility is due to people who prop up that image of the Christian life. And so one of the ways to deal with the discouragement is that on the front end, just being nothing but honest about what God is calling of us to do in the Christian life. Listen, Christians get cancer. Christians lose their jobs. Christians are often persecuted. I I was reading in Acts uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, and it told the story of, of Herod killing James, the brother of John. And in the very next section, it tells of Peter being miraculously freed from jail. And I was reading that, and I just thought, now, how is it that one is martyred and another is set free? How is it that we uh, heard recently of a, a young American woman who's raped and killed by an ISIS leader, and yet there are others who escape? These circumstances were not because those who survived had faith and those who didn't, didn't have faith. I mean, only in the sovereignty of God can these things possibly be understood or trusted that God knows what he's doing. Certainly, we know that God's presence does not leave us in those kind of times, Right? I can learn to to trust and depend on him in any circumstance. That's a part of discipleship. 
But it's a lie to tell people if you have faith, you'll be free of these things. That's called heaven. But that's not the life we live here on this earth. In Matthew it says, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. As people of truth, listen, we enjoy freedom because we don't have to cover ourselves or sell ourselves or try to control what others think. We are free in Christ. We, we find our security in Christ, and he always encourages us and wants us to deal in truth in all things. We can hear bad news as well as the good. We can hear hard truths as well as the things that we like to hear. And if we choose not to be honest, we not only injure ourselves, but, but others around us. In his 2012 memoir titled My Cross to Bear, Greg Allman, the lead singer for the Allman Brothers Band, recounts the regret that he still carries over his brother's sudden death. And for most of their lives, these two men were, uh, were best friends. Dwayne, who was a year older than Greg, called him Babra, which was a concoction of baby brother. And after the tragic murder of their father, the two brothers stuck together. They attended military school together, and they learned how to play guitar together. In fact, Dwayne was especially gifted in a 2003 Rolling Stone magazine edition, they voted him the second greatest guitarist of all time behind Jimi Hendrix. And Greg wrote this. He said, we were like Lewis and Clark, man. We were musical adventurers, explorers. We were one for all and all for one. But in 1971, all that unraveled when the two brothers had a nasty argument. And, and Greg explains that he'd given Dwayne money to buy drugs. And when Dwayne failed to deliver the drugs, Greg stormed into his brother's house, stole the drugs, and then lied to his brother about it. And shortly after the quarrel, Dwayne was killed in a motorcycle accident. And to this day, Greg Allman can't forget the incident or find forgiveness. And he says this, the last thing I ever said to my brother was a lie. I have thought of that lie every day of my life, and I just keep re-crucifying, isn't this interesting phrasing, re-crucifying myself for it. I know that's not what he would want. Well, not for long anyway. <laughs> but the thing is, I never got the chance to tell him the truth. Listen, to Greg Allman and to all of us who have lied, there is one who has already been crucified. And we have died with him. And so we are to enjoy the forgiveness of Christ. And now he calls us to live in utter honesty with one another, to live in authentic community. That means we don't shove under the carpet the issues. That means we're honest. That means we value one another because what is real is that each person is made in the image of God, that they are loved by God. That's what's real. And that our our behavior is to match that. Anything else is inauthentic. Instead of fighting or fleeing, 
We are called to authentic community. This week, I had a conversation with a dear brother who disagrees with me on some what I'd consider important issues, and he does too. And, and at the end of the conversation, we realize, you know what? There's still, even though it's difficult to talk about these things that we disagree on, we still enjoy fellowship. We still enjoy a, a rich relationship. Now, what that's going to mean in the future, I'm not sure. But I know that my, that, that my respect for him actually grows when we have such a conversation when we differ because we're honest with one another and, and our love is not contingent upon having to agree on every issue. That's what unity really is, is it not? Within the church. It's that our diversity can be celebrated. We don't have to agree on every issue, but, but we can still live in authentic community. God has called us to unity, not uniformity. Not everybody agreeing with us on everything. And it's okay to have the conversations, but we do so with great respect and with great love and still arm in arm together, authentic community. Let's pray.